Hey guys, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. This podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to basically go over your fundamentals and grow your practice, but let's do it concisely so you've got time to do whatever else that you need to do in the rest of the day. So a little while ago, I pulled Instagram on what questions that you guys had on concussion. I mean, we see it all the time in the news and it's kind of a hot topic in sports these days, but how do we as physical therapists treat it? There's a ton of research emerging on this topic, and how can we possibly have time to read every research article there is out there? So should we just stick someone in a dark room and tell them not to come out until their symptoms are gone? Should they work out? How do they manage their symptoms during treatment? Yeah, there's so much to learn on this topic. So I asked Caleb and Zant on the show to help us get a general overview of her expertise in concussion so she's going to be taking us through a brief bird's eye view of concussions in exam, treatment, patient education, prognosis, and more, all in a little less than 30 minutes. So take a listen first, and then maybe you can use what you learn as a launch pad to do more research and then streamline it a little bit to save time instead of reading every single research article out there. So yes, it's a little longer than our usual, but I think in the long run, it's going to save you a ton of time if you're interested in this topic. So buckle in and let's get started. Well, hey, welcome to PT's Next Podcast. This is Casey and I am sitting here with the one and only Kayla Vinzant here to talk about concussion. Kayla is awesome with treating this patient population. And I know I've talked to a lot of people who just want to know like more about it, how to get started. Some of you guys had questions on Instagram, so we'll try and answer some of those here. But Kayla, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, hi, y'all. My name's Kayla. I am, let's see, I've been treating for the last three years and treating concussions for all three of them. Um, When I was hired, so I work at Texas Children's out in the Woodlands. When I was hired in the interview process, they had asked me if I had any interest or background with concussion patients. Um, And I did not have any background, but there's definitely interest Um, I feel like in PT school, I was kind of stuck in between, do I like ortho, do I like neuro, I kind of live in the gray for most of my (laughs) life. So I don't think it's um, a coincidence that I ended up in concussion because it's very gray, Um, but I love it. And so I got the job and then before I even started my actual job, I took a course in concussion basics just to figure out what on earth am I about to do? Um, So that is kind of where I started. When you got started in concussion, too, what what does that look like for you? What patient setting are you in? Okay, so I work in outpatient sports medicine, adolescence. Um, so I guess all pediatrics we see age 7 to 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people think I'm seeing all sports-related concussions, but <laughs> surprise, I'm not. I don't even know if half of my concussion patients are actually from really? sport-related injuries. Yeah. So the kids. Um, so... A favorite is falling out of a palm tree. Um, oh my gosh! Like getting your head like slammed up against a cabinet, uh, uh, like playing. Yeah, not, nothing. Right. I mean, some are sad. Bullying has happened for concussions. MVAs, uh, which you'll see in an adult outpatient clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also a lot of just like random freak accidents. Kids being kids. So yes, we see sports concussions. You see football, soccer, all of those things. Right. I'm surprised I didn't have a concussion growing up, honestly. Yeah, I always have All the crazy stuff that, like, me and my sisters used to do. But I guess, like, first, what would you define as a concussion? 
That is a great question um, and not an easy one to answer, actually. So I feel like even the working definition of what is a concussion is always changing in the literature. Yeah. Um, normally, I don't have a textbook answer for you, but like a concussive event is normally an impact or some type of trauma to the head that results in like this neurometabolic cascade and symptoms. And um, But yeah, there isn't like a one working accepted yeah. concussion. Interesting. Definition. So I guess in terms of like the cascade of events that you were talking about, if someone has a concussion, what does that look like for them? How do they, how does it manifest itself in that patient? Okay. Um, Good question. So I think some of these things will be familiar to everybody. The major complaints that we see after concussion, and normally they can recognize where they hit their head at some point, headaches, dizziness, nausea, fatigue. Those are normally really big ones early on, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, sleep disturbances, mood changes, Mm -hmm. um, oh man, neck pain, depending on how they were injured. There's just a whole slew of symptoms. (laughs) Um, Exams are really fun because I I go through every single one of those things and more, and we just get to talk all about how they're feeling. Yeah. I mean, normally it's not very good. (laughs) Yikes. So... Going to that first visit, that mm-hmm. patient's walking in your door, yeah. what are you looking at exactly? Um, so if they're seeing me, because I work in a hospital setting, they've mm-hmm. already seen a sports medicine physician. Maybe they were referred by a primary care doctor, but they're oftentimes referred by our doctors right down the hall. Um, okay. So I have the advantage of being able to read their chart and already kind of know somewhat nice. to expect. Um, so I think for me, differential isn't quite there because you know they've had a concussion. Right. But I am trying to figure out what what are we going to do here in PT. And a lot of times in concussion rehab and just in concussion literature in general, you'll see patients categorized into subtypes of concussions. So they mm-hmm. might be like a headache subtype or they might be cervical subtype if they're having mostly neck pain or neck-related symptoms. They might be visuo-vestibular, so like vision oh, and vestibular-based. Yeah. Um, they're like the mood cognitive subtype. And so a lot of times through my subjective, when I'm asking them, I've got a big long list of symptoms I'm going to run you through. These might apply to you. They might not. But I'm just trying to get an idea of what's going on. And then mentally, I'm thinking, okay, this patient is mostly a cognitive mood type of concussion patient. And in that case, PT is going to be helpful, but it's probably not going to be the end-all be-all. Whereas if they're more vestibular or cervical, I'm excited because then I know, okay, <laughs> we've got stuff we can work on here. Okay. So like for like the mood one that you're talking mm-hmm. about, it's not going to be the end all be all, but it, are you working with other specialties to collaborate? Or? Yes. So for mood specifically, I'll typically try and refer them to psych if they haven't already mm-hmm. been to see psychology um, with the hope that they can then decide if they need you know, additional counseling. Um, some of it, even if it's just mood based, I think will they'll benefit from PT because of some of just the basic things that we're going to talk about, like exercise and yeah. like, sleep hygiene. I'll go into both both those things later, but just some of the basic things to help with the mood subtype. But yeah, that's probably the first place I start. That's really cool. I guess like for me, I mean, we talked about I'm rusty on concussion, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't even know if like in PT school, did we even go over the subtypes? I don't think so. Like, I don't think that was even on my radar. I know like, all right, they're going to like need some active rest and stuff like that. But Uh to have them named by subtype, that makes so much sense when you think about it. But Uh Yeah. And it's not perfect. The same way there's no, no patient fits into all the, the bucket of what you right. want them to. They're yeah. going to have a little bit of everything usually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Oh, another one we talk about is like physiological concussion symptom or more like autonomic dysfunction. So oh, if they're okay. having the light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, exercise intolerance, um, all of those things. I'm like, oh, this is a separate category. So it is helpful, yeah, to okay. know for me what are we going to work on, and then I can easily help them understand. Yeah. here's what you're actually going to do in PT. And then it kind of helps you, like, almost guide your treatment a little bit, yes. right? Uh-huh. Okay. Like, what are you going to prioritize? They have all these things going on, but this seems to be, like, the biggest issue. This is what we're going to hit first. Ah, okay. So let's say you're doing your subjective. You're mm-hmm. kind of narrowing in on what subtype they are, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. What do you do for, like, your objective portion? Okay. I will always clear the cervical spine. Um, typically, in my case, that has already been done by at least one, if not two other professionals, but I will still mm-hmm. always assess the cervical spine, um, looking at range of motion, um, and going through it, like a cervical exam, basically, yeah. um, palpation, all of that, because we know cervicogenic headaches, cervicogenic dizziness are all things that we want to be looking for. Um, so I'll go through cervical. I will then typically look at their vestibular function. And mm-hmm. so if some of you are familiar with the VOMS or the vestibular ocular motor screen, they might've taught you that in school. Uh, turns out it's so relevant. <laughs> um, so in the concussion literature, the bombs is still like the gold standard, mm-hmm. or at least is what you'll see the most of. In practice, I'd probably do more of like a modified bombs, mm-hmm. and so it's a little bit more extensive than that. Same exact things that you're assessing for, but I normally just do a couple more repetitions. And I can give a resource later. There's an article out of Cincinnati Children's that does a very sim- similar exam. Sweet. Um, yeah. But it's just a basic vestibular exam. Um, I'll look at ocular motor function, and that is a big thing that I have learned more about. We, I knew nothing about yeah. vision, but over time, and I've taken some continuing ed courses, I've learned a lot about the role of vision after a concussion mm-hmm. and how that's something that absolutely has to be addressed. Uh, and it's different than vestibular. Sometimes they, there's overlap, but it mm-hmm. is different. Um, Interesting. You know, like, now what? <laughs> <laughs> what does oh that mean? But let's say if we're talking about vision, things you'll hear, blurred vision, difficulty mm-hmm. reading, rereading the same lines, yeah. um, it's difficulty. I see patients that are in school. So I have to remember this is also for working adults. For the ocular motor side. A can of worms. Yeah, it's a can of worms. Well, um, first, can you define mm-hmm. the oculomotor side? What exactly that involves? I mean, I know like, okay, ocular motor, but like mm-hmm. for the, the rest of us non-concussion yeah. folks. So what's that mean? Yes. Um, so I'll tell you all the same thing I tell my patients. So your eyes have muscles and nerves, and they can have problems too. So <laughs> They have problems too. <laughs> so um, sometimes the tracking difficulties where they're having difficulty following moving objects. Mm-hmm. Um, the big one that we see is convergence insufficiency, which is when their eyes, both eyes cannot work together to create stable gaze on a near target. Mm-hmm. So what that looks like is double vision. Yeah. Um, or if not double vision, they might just complain of headaches with reading or eye strain or eye pain with reading. Mm. Um, and one of the surprising things, at least now that I've been practicing for a while, I was seeing this and then there's been some literature that I've seen recently where I think 50% of patients or people after concussion are going to have convergence insufficiency. 50%? Uh-huh. Holy cow. There was a study out of Cincinnati Children's again. Um, this is on adolescence, so mm-hmm. it's like I think 11 to 17 age. Fair. But of that group, I think 70% had visual dysfunction or oculomotor dysfunction. And of that 70, 50% had 
Convergence insufficiency. Jeez. Okay. So this is why I've had to become somewhat of a vision therapist because yeah. this you're going to run into this if you're seeing any you're number of concussion patients. Yeah. I mean, I feel like concussion is a, a whole world of its own, yeah. but it's not like... I think it just requires so much continuing education mm-hmm. and research. And I think there's so many things that we're learning about that side of things every day to where like, you've got to keep up with the literature. It's overwhelming because it <laughs> is like the sexy topic in sports medicine mm-hmm. right now. And, and it's great because I feel like there's so much to learn and know, but the research is pouring out daily. So yeah. It's hard for me to keep up. I mean, I, I feel like I can fall behind too, just because of the rate at which so new much. information is yeah, coming out. So much. Yeah. Well, I know somebody asked if there was like another version of the VMS mm-hmm. um, that is like good and used often. Uh-huh. Or is that kind of like the, the one? And I would say if you're first starting a concussion, stick to the VOMS. Mm-hmm. I think that is a really safe place to start. You're going to pick up vestibular dysfunction. You're going to know whether they have issues with saccades or if they have symptoms with VOR you would find convergence insufficiency. I think if you're wondering where do I start, start there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it will tell you what you need to know. And gotcha. then from there, you can still guide your treatment. Cool. Okay. So we're moving through the subtypes. Mm-hmm. We're doing our clinical exam, assessing yeah. the neck, doing the, the VOMS. Mm-hmm. I guess I keep calling it VOMS. You've done the VOMS. Mm-hmm. What else are you looking at, if anything else? Um, so we talked a little bit about the vision component. We can dive into that later. We're looking at balance. Um, we'll mm-hmm. often see balance dysfunction, and that could tie into the vestibular dysfunction too. Sometimes you just know by walking in where to start with balance. I don't do the same balance exam on every patient, mm-hmm. and that may or may not be a good thing, but that's just how I practice. If yeah, I, how you, um, you know, <laughs> if I feel like, so if we look at a romberg where they're standing with their two feet together, mm-hmm. and I know they're they're doing just fine standing in the room when they walk in. I'm not going to waste our time with a timer, 30 yeah. seconds. Um, so I'm going to start at something more like a single leg balance <laughs> task. Um, with everybody, I look at a tandem gait balance task. So okay. having them walk down a line, heel to mm-hmm. toe. Um, there's some good literature coming out about timed tandem gait tests where you can actually determine whether someone, or maybe not determine, but there's evidence supporting that their time if they've had a concussion will be slower than those who have not, um, which is fascinating. And it's really nice because there's an objective number there and it's so hard in concussion when the majority of what you're looking at is all subjective. Mm. And how do you feel? Yeah. And, and there's not a lot of numbers in your exam to really base clinical decision making off of. So anytime I can find an objective measure, I'm really excited. <laughs> Snag. <Got> yes. <laughs> so yeah, that was really recent. I just read this article about time tandem gate tests. Wow. I was like, yes, this is it. That's good to know. Uh-huh. Does that affect your ability to get someone approved by insurance? I'm, I'm curious. Um, so I'm really fortunate in that in the Texas Children's Network, there's also like an insurance plan. We see mostly Medicaid patients mm-hmm. and I've never had an issue getting patient therapy. Yeah. Um, but I imagine maybe in other settings it might be more difficult. And mm-hmm. so having objective numbers is helpful. Um, but no, I haven't run into issues. Yeah. It's more helpful for me sometimes just to know like, okay, there can be a behavioral component with concussions <laughs> or any, anything you're seeing in the clinic or any patient, any patient themselves. <laughs> yes. And so sometimes, especially with little, little ones, when yeah. they can't describe their feelings very well, like mm-hmm. we're talking under the age of 10 depending on the kiddo 
it's helpful to have a number to look at because they that don't even sense. know how to describe what nausea feels like. Oh, it yeah. Is. yeah. It, you bring up a good point. Are there different tests per age group? I think the VOMS, I want to say age nine, but at a certain point, that's not helpful for them. So I'll assess, but not using, you know, a formal outcome measure. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't think there are any age specific tests that I can think of. Gotcha. Okay. That one just requires some attention. And so yeah. the little ones, that's hard. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hard for some adults too. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we're, We've done our exam. We're at this point starting to kind of conclude. Mm-hmm. Are there any things like at this point where you're like, oh, yikes, you are going to take way longer. Your prognosis, not so good. Thing that I will have probably heard or picked up on in the exam at this point that would lead me to think, okay, this person might take longer to recover, which in a pediatric or adolescent population is going to be greater than 30 days. Um if they're having any sort of vestibular dysfunction or visuo-vestibular dysfunction, um, if they have a history of anxiety or depression, that's mm-hmm. a big one. That can lead to prolonged recovery. If they have just overall their symptom severity score, so we'll use the post-concussion symptom scale, and if they just have a really high symptom burden overall, mm-hmm. that's actually a risk factor for prolonged recovery. Um, there are some other ones that are kind of gray. Females generally tend to take longer. Mm-hmm. Um that's supported in some literature and not in all. Uh, that's definitely true as far as who I see. Mm. I see way more girls than I do yeah. boys. Um, mm. It could be hormones. Like maybe, especially in the adolescent age group, they think there might be some sort of hormonal relation. Girls are also, or women are more likely to report symptoms. And mm. so that could be part of it too. Yeah, hard to pinpoint. Yeah, hard to pinpoint, but definitely female. And then anecdotally, um, your type A, pretty rigid, high achieving female, mm. like mm. that's where I'm like, oh, sweet girl, <laughs> we're going to be good friends. Um, which is funny because I look at who I was in high school and think I would have absolutely taken forever <laughs> to recover from a concussion. Fits the mold. <laughs> Fits the mold. I think it's why I also love what I do because I can very much connect with their high school yeah. self. Um, yeah. My longest time to recover for as far as patients go, it is always a type a high achieving mm. high school girl juggling a lot of things interesting um yeah they just take a while do you think that also too has something to do with like there's a mental rest component mm-hmm. right like you're not Absolutely. able to like actually have mental rest yes i think 100 percent. and so my biggest role i think as their therapist is checking in on them and encouraging them to actually take the break that they need to recover. Mm, okay. Like it's sad, but oftentimes if they'll have a concussion in August or in the summer and it takes until Christmas break because Ooh. then they have two weeks without school. It's amazing oh, what two weeks of risk can do. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, that is a huge component of just yeah. needing that relative cognitive rest or getting enough sleep at night. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the big things I think fall by the wayside in that. Rest and sleep. Mm-hmm. So what does like the patient education portion of that side look like? Yeah. Um, so we'll come back to sleep because that is actually one of the, there's two things I'm going to talk about because at this point your patient's exhausted and they've been in there for a while. We've been talking forever. So I try and just limit it to here's what you need to know or here's what you can do. Um, I want to get them moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a PT, that's probably not news to anyone, <laughs> but, um, 
with concussion for so long, it was the, the sit in a dark room treatment and don't go anywhere, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. I think everyone knows that's not really what we're doing anymore. But yeah. then the question is, okay, but like how much is too much and, and what right. should they do? Yeah. Um, so I will tell all my patients that I want them to start doing some sort of walking or stationary bike, something to get them moving. Um, and I want to encourage them that like, exercise is going to end up being good for you. Now, there's a big asterisk next to that because I normally tell them to wait until they come back with me ah. <laughs> for their first session. And we're going to Supervise. Go, yes. So I will take them through what's called the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test. Um, oh. They also have a bike test. Okay. Um, but I find the treadmill easier in clinic. Um, and okay. so we will do a graded exercise test on a treadmill and your monitoring heart rate. And then I will use how they do on that test as a prescriptive here's how you're going to exercise. And it's mostly using RPE, so rate of perceived exertion, mm -hmm. and their symptoms. And so as a general rule, I tell them, as long as you don't feel worse during or afterwards, I want you moving. So start mm -hmm. with like a 10 minute walk every day. Yeah. And that can be, and if you feel good during that, great. If you feel good afterwards, great. Tomorrow, maybe you can go for 20 minutes, but mm -hmm. trying to get them to move just because we know the benefits of exercise, it helps with overall concussion symptoms. We do know it can actually decrease just your symptom burden. Helps with cerebral blood flow, helps with sleep regulation, yeah. helps with mood. All of these things that are already issues in a concussion can be improved with exercise and it's easy and free. Um, so I start there. And then sleep is the other big one. Um, <laughs> and so I talked to them about getting on a regular sleep schedule and sleep hygiene, making sure that they don't have their phone with them or regular wake times. Sometimes all patients come in, they've had a concussion for three months. They're just now seeing me and they're still oh, wearing sunglasses. Oh, I'm no. like, Oh no. I call it the vampire effect. <laughs> I'm like, the vampire effect. Yes. That's, that's a scientific term. Um, but they've had sunglasses on for three months. Any wow. light is going to feel offensive. Yikes. And then there's circadian rhythms are off. So sleep is just a big one. Those are two things that they can control. And so that's where, why I start there. So for sleep, that's mm -hmm. like, all right, don't have your phone with you at night, mm -hmm. regular amount, like regular go to bed, wake up. Yep. Just set a schedule. Get in, schedule. Yeah, set a schedule. Try and get in bed at a reasonable hour. Mm -hmm. And then try and wake up at a reasonable hour. <laughs> yeah, it's not complicated, but it's important. <laughs> it's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of them already have, like, disrupted sleep anyways because mm -hmm. of their concussions. So you're just trying to set them up for success. I got you. By removing, like, the barriers of yeah. having issues with light regulation or phones, all that kind of stuff. And is there, like, a magic sleep time? Or is it, like, the seven to nine hours? I like... mean, yeah, I think for, like, normal people. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's not realistic for people to get, like, ten hours of sleep. I would like yeah. them to get, like, eight. Yeah. At least. <laughs> it's, it's your... I mean, this is, again, adolescents, but, like, high schoolers staying up till 2 o'clock in the morning doing homework or playing video games and then yeah. waking up for school, that's not going to be a good day no. the next day. Yeah, and I feel yeah. like I'm insane for adults. With, yes. Or anyone without it's a concussion. It's the exact same, yeah, for adults. <laughs> it would be no different of, like, staying up late doing work is, and then you're struggling the next day at work. It's not going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. So move and sleep. Move and sleep. And then whatever I found on exam, mm -hmm. so typically I will give a vestibular home exercise program to start to. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll run them through. It's basically like the VOMS. Yeah. But then you just have to do more repetitions um, or the goal to do more repetitions, but it's based on their symptom tolerance. So 
Okay. Like, I'll tell them on our handouts, like, up to 30 repetitions, but you stop whenever you feel like you have to. So the VOMS basically becomes their home exercise yep. program. Mm-hmm. VOMS, but instead of 10 reps, we're doing 30. Yeah. Just a just goal work. of 30. A goal. Yeah, yeah. Working up to that. So that's, that's one major exercise that I give out. And then if they're having visual or ocular motor dysfunction, like convergence insufficiency, I've got an exercise that I get for that. I'm trying to think if you've been in concussion, I don't even literature, but if you treat concussions, you might have seen the Brock string. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, Arts and Crafts time with the long string with three balls on it. Yeah. I've seen one of those. I've been touched one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's just a really helpful tool that gives your patient a lot of feedback on Mm -hmm. what their eyes are doing. So you're having them look at a target and they should be able to see one target. Mm -hmm. And if both eyes are working together, they'll see two strings going in, two strings going out to a target. This doesn't make any sense if you're listening to it, but it's basically just a really helpful tool with some feedback for your patient to help them start retraining their eyes to work together. So how do patients feel while they're doing these exercises? Like they hate them. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds miserable. It it is. And so I I try and warn them like you're not going to feel good doing this, Mm -hmm. but I also don't want them to ever push through symptoms while they're doing their home exercise program. Mm -hmm. So every time I tell them, I don't care how many repetitions you do. I want you to stop when you feel bad. Your symptoms are like snowball and they will continue to build if you don't let them melt. And so Mm. I try and tell them all you, you're going to do as many repetitions of saccades looking back and forth as you can until you feel headache, dizziness, eye strain, whatever it is, and then stop and wait until you feel better until you start again. And then I'm also pretty strategic with them about when they want to do them. So for adults or for pediatric patients, I wouldn't do these before you have something really cognitively demanding that you have to do. Mm-hmm. So if you have to work later, I would not do the exercises before. I would do them after and then go to bed <laughs> or you. you have a break in the day. Um, yeah. yeah, they normally make you feel kind of crummy. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they're starting these treatments. You've educated them. How long would you expect treatment to last? I know you mentioned like, hey, it depends on... Yeah. yeah, yeah. It depends on so many things, but uh-huh. like, does it matter by subtype? You know, it's so hard because every concussion really is different. And I try and tell my patients that like your yeah. concussion is different than your cousins and different than your teammates. And this is probably even different if you, than your last concussion, if you're here for a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the recovery time is really tricky because it's influenced by so many things. I generally see patients, I would say for eight to 12 weeks, but I've also seen them as long as like six months, which is not fun. And normally at that point, we've had a lot of referrals elsewhere too. Mm. Um, if I'm seeing a patient for 12 weeks, eight weeks, and they're not doing much better, I'm definitely looking to see, okay, what else is going on and who else needs to be involved. Kind of a constant thought in my head because Mm -hmm. I know concussion affects so many systems in the body that they normally need more than just me. And let's say someone's had a concussion mm-hmm. in the past. Does does it have a compounding effect or is it just like a, its own unique incident? They seem to be like their own unique incident as far as they present. Um, however, if you've had one concussion, it does put you at risk for sustaining another concussion. Mm-hmm. So the t- same type of like concussive event or like a head injury might seem pretty innocent, but if you've already had a concussion, 
Like I saw a patient who was hit in the head with like a full squishy foam ball. No. Um, and it was their second concussion and they took six months to recover. Oh my gosh. Granted, they, they checked all the boxes for all the risk factors for prolonged recovery. Yeah. Um, and the personality type for prolonged recovery. <laughs> so we had all the things kind of working against them. Oh, um, poor thing. But yeah, from like a little foam pool ball. Wow. So I, I know. Think, Who knew this could be so dangerous? I know. I know. It, but I'd also tell them every time you hit your head is not a concussion. Like you, You're okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But I knew it's not a, a crystal clear answer. They always ask me the same thing. How long yeah. should I expect? It's hard to say. For some, it's like a slow, gradual improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, for others, it's like they just turn a corner one day and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like the lights are back on and yeah. they're feeling better. And then within two weeks, we're feeling all better and then we're done. How do you know that they're getting better? Great question. <laughs> um, so sometimes like with headaches, which is one of their biggest complaints, mm-hmm. they might go from having a headache all day from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed to now they just have a headache after a couple hours at school. Then I start to get a headache. Um, mm-hmm. So headaches that will actually resolve and relent um, mm-hmm. or they're less severe. They're not as bad as they used to be. Um, if they're sleeping better, like they're not waking up in the middle of the night, that for me is a good sign. Things are moving in the right direction. Um, I think I look at function, like how well they're getting by in daily life. Like, yeah. can they tolerate a full school day? Can they, can they run? That's mm, a good sign, you know, yeah. starting to do some return to sport in a controlled setting. But yeah, normally I would say symptom severity starts to yeah. decrease over time. Which I guess if it's mostly subjective too, then that's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah. And also like when you're doing your vestibular exam, they will be able to do more repetitions mm-hmm. of saccades before they have to stop or yeah. their speed will improve. Um, so you'll be able to see things too that yeah. are improving. No, that's, that's really interesting. So in terms of, let's say someone has resolved their concussion, mm-hmm. I guess, do you see or have you seen anything like research about long-term effects after a concussion, even if it has resolved? So with a lot of people, once they recover from their concussion, they're better. Yeah. I have to remember, so if they're seeing me, they are not recovering on a normal timetable. Mm, so yeah. 80, 75% of people who have a concussion do get better within, let's say, two to three weeks if they're an adult. Mm-hmm. Or 80% of kids that see our sports medicine doctors don't make their way to me. Yeah. Um, so I am seeing the ones that are going the worst to take the worst. Yeah. a long time. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So if someone was wanting to say, get involved in the world of concussion mm-hmm. from a physical therapy side of things, where would you direct them to go learn more, like continuing education classes, yeah. that kind of stuff where they start? I would say continuing education will be your best friend. So hopefully you like to learn. Uh, <laughs> there, there's a lot to learn. And I think it's hard. Like, yes, you can filter through the research on your own, but like we said, it's coming out in mass quantities. Yeah. And so it's really hard to do that. And who has time as a clinician to be on PubMed all the time? True. Uh, yeah. Not me. Not, not most people. <laughs> so um, I, I took a course by Becky Bliss. She's a physical therapist um, mm-hmm. and also is a professor at University of Missouri. And so I was looking to see, is that course still offered? She actually teaches it virtually now. Um, which I was really excited about. So I would take any evidence-based concussion course. And there are a lot out there just Mm -hmm. to get your feet wet. Um, For me, more of my continuing education now has been on the vestibular side of things and the oculomotor vision side of things. 
because that's where I see the biggest, the biggest issues. And that's where I still feel like I have a lot to learn. Um, yeah, I don't have like a vestibular certification and I don't have a neuro background beyond what we learned in school. And so mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm always trying to learn a little bit more yeah. about what I can do. I, I feel like that's the important side of things too, mm-hmm. is that for us to assume that we've learned everything mm-hmm. is probably a good sign that you have not learned enough and yeah. are not open to learning more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a really great mindset that most people should have regardless yeah. of what area you're in. And especially like when the patient's in front of you, I know like for myself, I was not a book learner. I was more of like, Hey, this person's in front of me. I'm able to apply it to them uh-huh. directly. Plus. Yeah. I mean, if evidence is coming out in mass waves, then yeah, it's hard to keep up. And a lot you will just learn by doing. Yeah. And that I've been really fortunate because I see so many concussions, I think relative to the, the average clinic, just because that's kind of my role at our clinic. Yeah. Um, and being in a big hospital system, we see a lot of referrals, but just start like treating them mm-hmm. and you will learn a lot. Um, yeah. you probably know more can help more than you think. Even just as a therapist, you are good at listening and good at educating. And most people just need the basics. True. And then you can learn as you go. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can treat a neck, you can help them a lot to begin with. Um, <laughs> you might not get them through everything that they need, but that's a good yeah. place to start. Um, so I think just starting and I ask a lot of questions to my patients. Yeah. And because part of that is I'm just learning like how, how yeah. this operates, how, how do you work when you have a concussion? Um, I feel like I learn a lot just by having a lot of conversation with yeah. the patients. Well, let's say someone is in your clinic and mm-hmm. you're operating as like their mentor. They want to mm-hmm. become involved in concussion. Mm-hmm. Will be your like top three doesn't have to be three, but like your top pieces of advice for them on how to actually just start treating patients. My, my top pieces of advice. Um, so you're do once they know how to do an exam and I don't think an exam is as complicated as people make it out to Mm -hmm. be. Um, you're going to do a really thorough subjective. So you have to know what questions to ask, but that is pretty easy to figure out, Mm -hmm. um, with just a little bit of learning. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And you're going to treat the impairments that you see. It's not that different than any other injury that you're going to see. If they have issues with saccades, you're going to work on habituation with saccades. If they have cervical dysfunction, you're going to treat the spine. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say I always treat the spine first. It's like your low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they're having cervicogenic headaches, you can get them feeling better in a pretty quick amount of time if you treat the neck. So that is one thing I always tell people that are first diving in, treat the spine first. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that is quicker and can help a lot um, compared to your vestibular rehab is going to take a bit of time. Um, I would try and make it the same way you individualize everything to your patients. Like Mm -hmm. if I am treating a soccer player, I'm going to try and make their exercises somewhat relevant to soccer. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like like their balance tasks are going to be relevant to soccer. Or if they're a drum major, they're going to be doing (laughs) things that are more like dual tasking and reading music. Um, So trying to find ways to make it meaningful. Um, Mm For your adult, I mean, I think the same thing applies. A lot of people are working. They're going to have issues with screens. They're going to focus a lot on saccades, if that's their yeah. issue. Um, so just trying to make it relevant and individualized is yeah. no, basic, like but worthy of remembering. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. 
Um, and like, I know for me, like I learned a lot just even talking to you because so much of this is like way outside of my realm of expertise, but it sounds like when that patient's coming in, you're evaluating their symptoms, what mm-hmm. subgroup they're in. You're doing a bombs, treating impairments. Mm-hmm. Um, you're educating them on sleep and activity. And then you're treating those impairments. Mm-hmm. And then voila. Uh, yeah, just like that. You know, just, it's easy peasy, easy. right? Yeah. I'm ready to go. Put me in, coach. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's really it. Um, one thing I wanted to know, so we said the subtype grouping. Yeah. There's usually more than one. So don't get mm-hmm. hung up on those if they're like, but they fit them all. Like, it's okay. <laughs> um, and then I think don't be hesitant to refer out. So mm-hmm. make good friends. If you're not good with vestibular rehab, make good friends with a vestibular therapist. Or mm-hmm. if you have no idea what to do with their eyes, look for an optometrist in the area that you can at least refer them to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think know where you might need to refer out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you just kind of have to start. And then the more that you do it, you'll start to see patterns. And the more you do, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the final thing that I would say, just get comfortable in the gray Yeah. because it's not crystal clear. And so I, I oftentimes I will question myself. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I missing? What am I not doing right? Why aren't they better yet? I think, I still have to get comfortable with the fact that there's a lot that we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And this also just takes time. Um, yeah. And so I think I'm used to like semi-predictable timetables of recovery for other injuries. Mm-hmm. And this just isn't the case. And so I have to get patient yeah. and, and get comfortable in, in the gray of it because it's just not crystal clear. But that's yeah. what makes it fun. I really yeah. do feel like you have a lot of room for creativity as a therapist working with concussion patients. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for like sharing your expertise and teaching me not to say VMS, but to <laughs> say bombs. I really appreciate that. It makes me feel a little bit more educated. Um, now you know. But no, I, I really do appreciate it. Like, I think that this information is helpful, not only just for like people who are potentially interested in learning about concussion, but also just being able to simplify main concepts, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times especially if in a field that's rapidly growing in research, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get caught up in the weeds without being able to take a step back and look at the full picture. Mm -hmm. And it feels really overwhelming, but to be able to have a rough framework and a scaffolding to pull from helps to make those weeds way less of a hindrance. That's the hope. I mean, hopefully I didn't confuse everybody with more information than they wanted. But thank you so much, Casey. This has been a ton of fun and yeah, feel free to give out information or some way that yeah. people can reach me because I'd be happy to be a resource. I still have a lot to learn, but I'd be happy to share whatever I do now. Thanks so much for being on the show, Kayla. I learned so much from this interview and I know it's going to be so beneficial for people just learning about or getting started with treating concussion. So for those of you who are listening, if you have any questions for Kayla, just feel free to send them to ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com and then I'll send them on to her so we can actually get those answered for you. Or if you have any questions, you can also reach out on Instagram at PT Snacks Podcast. Again, this show is meant to be helpful to you guys. This is not a show for me to hear my voice. Um, Nobody likes to hear their own voice. This is a show for all of us to help to grow ourselves a little bit in our profession with time management in mind. So if you like the show, hit follow so you don't miss out. And then write a review on, on Apple Podcasts. If you want to join the community, 
You can follow me on Instagram at PT Snacks Podcast, where I like to post up study content, ask quiz questions, and then I also poll the audience what questions you have for future episodes or just general questions. So be a part of that. Join us. Um, if you want to support the show beyond following and writing a review, tell someone you think that would benefit from it. You can also follow the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee, support the show monetarily that I can put towards covering my overhead for making this podcast in the first place. So as always, thanks for tuning in and until next time.